Shalom and blessings. This is Pastor Clifton McDowell Sr. here at the Church of God of East New York, located in the heart of Brooklyn. Thank you so much for tuning in to our podcast, and I pray this week's sermon blesses and encourages you for the journey. God bless. Now enjoy the sermon. Good morning and praise the Lord, saints. I hope you're doing well. I hope you know how blessed you are. And I submit to you that this is the day the Lord has made. We're going to rejoice and be glad in it. Yesterday, I was blessed to be on the Zoom call with the state women's ministry that's led by our minister, Pamela Jilks. And um, one of those, um, the family members of one of those persons that were being honored, women that were being honored during Women's History Month, described leaving a legacy like this. She says leaving a legacy is, is like planting a garden that you will not get to see. You see, it's because the very flowers in the garden that you plant in this legacy garden are the very people that you touch, the lives that you touch, and the lives that the people you touch, touched. You see, gardening is one of those things. Those of you that know me, it's one of the things that I enjoy doing. It, it can be tedious, it can be hard work, but I enjoy it and find it relaxing. I love to see things grow. In fact, gardening is one of the things that I look forward to in the spring. I look forward to planting flowers around the house. I look forward to seeing the flowers that I planted last year begin to burst through the soil and the bushes around the house begin to bloom. See, you can tell that spring is on the way, amen, that it's not far away when you begin to see the tulips begin to break through the soil. Well, yesterday, yesterday we got a dusting of snow and you know, Lord, that the temperature just began to drop and everything began to freeze up and it made the sidewalks and the steps around the house very icy. And so I thought I still had some salt, which I could get out of the garage and put it down so that no one would slip, only to find out that I had used up all my salt. CJ was over the house, and so we went out to Home Depot to see if we could get a bag of salt. But we got there, and they told us they had no salt because they had already switched over um, the, the, the Home Depot products from winter to spring. And so they had no salt. They had all kinds of flowers and bushes that could be purchased for the garden, but there was no salt for the ice. The same was true in the three other stores that we went to. Everybody was ready for spring and nobody was ready for salt that I needed during this cold spell. Well, it would appear that winter is about over and that we need to start thinking about gardening. If you garden, what is a garden? It can be a place of life, a place where flowers, plants, and vegetables push back the soil and they burst to life. We try to protect our gardens, don't we? We protect them with fences and insecticide to keep the animals out and the insects off. We pull the weeds to keep them from choking what we've planted. We tell the kids and the grands, we tell them, don't play in the garden. And if you have pets, we keep them out too. 
Satan had to learn this lesson too. Don't mess around in the garden, especially when the garden, amen, belongs to the Father. I submit to you that the Bible, the Word of God, is a story about Jesus and gardens. What are you saying, Pastor? Well, listen, it was in a garden that Adam took a fall and in a garden that Jesus took a stand. It was in a garden that God pursued Adam and it was in a garden that Jesus pursued God. It was in a garden that Adam hid from God and in a garden that Jesus emerged triumphant from the tomb. It was in a garden, you see, that Satan led Adam to a tree that led to his death. Hey, but it was in a garden that Jesus went to a tree that led to our lives. All was lost. Where? In a garden. And all was recovered in a garden. Today, today we start a journey together toward Easter by traveling through the gardens of our Redeemer. And that's the series that we want to start today, the gardens of our Redeemer. As we go through this series, I hope that you would see in the gardens of our Redeemer the love of God being revealed. I hope that you would see the roles that these gardens have played in the good news of the gospel. I hope that you will see the beauty of a garden and see the loving designer our God revealed. I hope that you will see in the bounty and the production of the garden a loving provider in our Father. I hope that you will see what began in a garden had to end in a garden. And so today as we start our journey, the first garden I'd like to bring us to is the Garden of Eden. It was in this garden that our Savior, Jesus Christ, was first promised. This first garden takes us back to the very beginning of time. It was a beautiful garden. It was filled with the creation of God. You see, you can't think of a garden without being drawn to the Creator. This garden, it encompassed all of creation. In fact, the first garden ever planted was planted by God himself. He is the first gardener, not just in scripture, but in time, in history. He is the first gardener. And we have an account of this in Genesis chapter 2. You see, after creation, amen, the Lord God planted a garden. He planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And what did he do? He put Adam there, the man that he had formed, he put him in the garden that was filled with all kinds of trees. It was a garden that was beautiful, beautiful to the eyes. The Bible says that the trees that were planted there, they were pleasant to the eyes. This was a garden of perfection. Why? It was formed out of love. It was a garden, a productive garden of great bounty. For the Bible says that the trees in the garden, they were good for food. The garden, this garden became the home for Adam and Eve. In this garden, all their needs were met. All their needs were supplied in the garden. They would want for nothing. 
They had the run. Do you hear me? They had the run of the whole garden. And in the middle of the garden, two trees were planted. The Bible says the tree of life and the tree of knowledge, the knowledge of good and evil. Now remember, they had the run of the whole garden. He didn't even tell them that they couldn't come near these trees. The only restriction, one restriction in the whole garden that God gives. Adam, take care of the garden, work it. You're free to eat from any tree in the garden with the exception of one tree. Verse 17 says, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. It would appear that Eve has the same information that Adam has. Perhaps Adam has told her, but she adds something to it. She says, she tells the serpent when she has this conversation with him, which is one of her first mistakes, but she says, don't even touch it. Adam could have added that for emphasis. But have you ever asked yourself, when you, when you read Genesis and you thought about original sin, have you ever asked yourself, why God, God tell me why, why even put the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the garden in the first place? Have you ever wondered what it looked like? Or what the fruit might have tasted like. Is it still in existence today? Surely God, surely God, knowing that man would fall, he could have taken the tree out of the garden. He could have solved all these problems. You see, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it was more than simply a tree. The presence of that tree was an opportunity for humanity to demonstrate their love and their trust for God by not eating its desirous food. It was an opportunity. And every time we're faced with going contrary to the will and way of God, it's an opportunity to prove our love and our faithfulness and our trust in Almighty God. The existence of that tree created for all mankind the opportunity to choose to follow God. But disobedience led to temptation and to the fall. In this garden was the birthplace of sin. You see, when we chose to eat the fruit, it was not the sampling of the fruit that caused mankind to fall. Because if eating of a particular fruit was a sin, then the name and the description of the fruit would have been made clear so that we could avoid it. The sin, the sin, my friend, was not in eating the fruit. The sin came in breaking a relationship through disobedience to the one command, one command that was given for our good that they would choose to trust God, God to guide them, amen, into what was good and what was evil, that they would trust God to guide them 
rather than look to themselves and their own wisdom to choose between what is good and what is evil. But because of the presence of Satan in the garden, in the form of a serpent, the Garden of Eden was a garden of deception. The Bible said that the serpent was more crafty, more subtle, amen, more cunning, more deceptive than any of the other animals. The Garden of Eden was a garden of deception. Verse 1 says he, that the serpent has this conversation um, with Eve. And you know, the enemy loves to distort truth. He loves to create doubt in the minds of people. Listen to what he says. He says, did God really say, did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now you read it. God didn't say you couldn't eat from any tree. He said you can eat from, he said you can eat from any tree except one tree. Eve responds, which is a mistake. She says, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. There's two trees in the middle of the garden. There's only one tree that God says don't eat from. And he says, and she adds what God did not say to Adam. She adds, you must not touch it or you will die. I'm going to tell you that Satan is a liar. He looks at Eve and responds back to her in his crafty, deceptive way. You will not certainly die. God is keeping you from becoming like him. God is keeping something from you. God doesn't want you to become wise like him. You will not certainly die. John 8:44, Jesus gives a description of the enemy. He tells those Jews there that were just going on um, their, their, their DNA. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. Listen to what Jesus describes Satan as. He says, you were, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, when the devil lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. He is the father of all lies, and it all started in the garden. 2 Corinthians eleven three says, but I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, he tells the church there, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Garden of Eden, folks can be deceived. You see, Satan is so subtle, so crafty. He's deceptive. As this verse says, Satan takes the simplicity that is in salvation, that has been provided by Christ. He twists it and turns it into something that it is not. He makes salvation hard and difficult. And Jesus came and he made it simple. Then the enemy deceives Christians and non-Christians alike by making us think 
We can't be happy living the Christian life. You will never be happy following Jesus. You'll be bored and miserable. You'll miss out on all the fun of life. Well, yeah, yes, that's just what will happen. You will miss out. What will you miss out? You will miss out and will no longer want to have a blast by getting drunk and acting foolish and seeing and doing things you will regret and not even remember getting into fights. Waking up in a fog with a headache pounding like a bass drum. Yes, you will miss out. You'll miss out of becoming a mother or a father before you're even ready to be a woman or a man. You will miss out. You'll miss out staying out all night long with no idea whether you'll make it back home alive. Yes, you will miss out getting behind the wheel of a vehicle, taking your hand, your life in your hands, and the life of those in your car, and the life of those on the road, into your hands that are eyes that are sleepy and head that is dizzy. You'll miss out, my friend, taking or smoking drugs to get a high, hoping that no one sold you some bad stuff. You will miss out faking love for sex and giving sex, hoping to find love. Yes, you'll miss out. If you follow Jesus, being in a different person's bed month after month, hoping not to catch something that could cost you your life, you'll miss out. But Satan is a liar. He's a deceiver. Jesus says in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. But hear this. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. The evil one. He deceives us into thinking that God will not take care of us, that God does not care for us, that God, that we're not important to God. I want to tell somebody, you, my friend, are important to God. You don't have to prove your worth. You don't have to prove your value. You are worth many sparrows, the scripture says, and not a sparrow falls to the ground that the Father does not see. You have worth. You have value. Why? Because you are created, amen, in the very image of God. The Imago Dei, amen, is in your life. You are valuable. You are worth much. Philippians 4, 19, he tells us, my God will meet all of your needs. And you and I know God has been faithful in meeting our needs. He'll meet all of our needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. He, the enemy, deceives us into just thinking that we can, God is not going to meet our needs. God is not for us. He deceives us into thinking that we can hold on to the world and love the world and hold on to God and love God at the same time without consequences. James tells us in James 4 and 4, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity, animosity, hatred against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. The enemy deceives us into thinking that we can get away with sin. Galatians 6, 7 says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. 
But whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. But not only was Eden a garden of deception, it was a garden of decision. In chapter 2, verse 15, Adam was created with the capacity to choose love, to love God and obey him. Amen. He could obey God or not. He was not a robot and neither are you and I. God tells him you can eat from any tree but one. Adam made a deliberate, hear me, he made a deliberate choice to disobey God. Prove it. First Timothy 2.14. And Adam was not deceived. Underline it. Adam was not deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. You see, Adam knew exactly what he was doing. He chose to obey. He chose to do nothing and say nothing as he stood by his wife while she was being deceived. Adam knew what he was doing. God gives us all choices to serve and to follow him or not. And by choosing not, we automatically choose to serve Satan. Joshua, one of my favorite heroes, characters in scripture in chapter 24 and 15 he says this, he tells the, whole, the, the, the rest of the, of the host of Israel, amen, that seem to be halting between two opinions. Am I going to serve God or am I going to serve um, these idols? Listen to what he says. He tells them, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, he says, then choose for yourself. Here it is. You get to choose, yes or no, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your ancestors, they serve beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites, the gods of yesterday or the gods of today in whose land you are living. Listen to what he says. But as for me and my house, we can't make our children serve God, but we can create conditions that are conducive to serving God. He says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In other words, this is the Lord's house. Amen. And you can't do anything and everything you want to do in this house. Because the very room you're sleeping in, that's not your room. That's my room. The sheets you're getting under, the quilts, the pillows, that's all mine. I'm loaning them to you. And while you live in this house, you've got to go by our rules. And when you get so big and you get so grown that you are no longer going to abide by that, then that's time for you to say, well, it's time for me to get my own house. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Notice it says whom you will serve, not if you will serve. You either are serving the true God or you're serving the gods of this world. And the gods of this world is anything or anyone that you put before the true God. It could be your occupation, your education, your money, position, material possessions, popularity, sex, drugs, alcohol, a husband, a wife, or kids. Anything and anyone that comes before the true God becomes a false God. But just like Adam, 
You and I get to choose. But our choices have consequences. And we may get to choose our choice, but we do not get to choose the consequence. Not only was Eden a garden of deception and a garden of decision, it was a garden of disobedience. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 6, when Eve saw that the fruit of the tree, that it was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. Now look at that. The enemy has put a thought in her mind in their conversation that God is holding back something from you. If you eat this fruit, you'll gain wisdom. You'll be like God. And now he has created a desire within her to gain the wisdom that the serpent spoke of. The Bible says she took some and ate it. She also gave some to Adam who was with her and he ate it. it. Now hear me. It really wasn't the fruit that was bad. It was the disobedience involved in the action taken. Romans 5.19 tells us, For just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, Jesus himself, many will be made righteous. I know whether you've noticed it or not, but we are living in a nation that's full of disobedient children. Children who have learned their disobedience from their parents. We are in a nation that won't repent and won't obey God's law because we know, we think that we know more than God. We say in our hearts, listen, this is 2022. That Bible is old fogey. That's then. This is now. Our nation is crumbling right before our eyes in, on so many levels. And it's primarily because of disobedience. To God's moral law. God calls us to obey. Amen. And his call to obedience. Amen. He gave us the Ten Commandments. The moral law is still in effect. Not talking about the ceremonial law. That was like a schoolmaster. Amen. To teach us how to obey. Amen. But God's moral law. They were not the ten suggestions. And they don't have an expiration date. They're just as vibrant, just as necessary today as they were then. Romans 6, 16. Don't you know that when you, when you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But you get to choose, my friend. You get to choose God's, God's way or Satan's way. Not only was Eden, a man, a garden of deception, a garden of decision, and a garden of disobedience, it was also a garden of death. Genesis 3.17, when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The day they ate from that fruit, they died spiritually. They died relationally to God. Amen. And we don't know. Amen. The Bible said that God um, barred them from the tree of life so that they would not live forever. Even in that, God was showing mercy. Hebrews 9, 27. 
says, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, all of us have an appointment we will keep. We all have an appointment with death and only, you, only this, you and I don't get to choose when that day will come. Death may come soon. It may come far into life. It may come without warning. You see, people die of all ages, in all places, and in all kinds of ways. You may not live to get old and gray. Amen. You may not have, amen, a long sickness that ultimately takes you out. Death may come suddenly without notice, without warning. I think. I think we all know that, that we're going to die. I think we understand that we have a mortality, but I don't think we really believe it. Because if we believed it, we'd live differently. Without Christ living in the garden of our hearts, you and I are living under a death sentence. Romans 5.12 tells us, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, death through sin, and in this way, death, death, death came to all people. Why? Because all sinned. Let me say this. Not only was Eden a garden of deception, garden of decision, a garden of disobedience, and a garden of death, but let me end on this note. Eden was a garden of the promised deliverer. You see, God made a promise of redemption in verse 15 in pronouncing judgment. When he was pronouncing judgment on Adam and judgment on Eve and he pronounced judgment on the serpent, part of that, what he said there was he prophesied, amen, that there would be a deliverer, there would be a redeemer. In verse 15, it says, he says, I will put enmity or hostility between you and the woman, between your seed and the seed of the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He says, her offspring will crush your head. Your offspring, serpent, will strike his heel. One is a wound, the other is a death blow. You see, Christ is the promised one, the seed of the woman. He is the redeemer, the deliverer who was prophesied to come and crush the serpent's head, render him powerless and defeated. From a cradle to a cross to a grave, he comes out more than conqueror. And so in conclusion, my friends, we are descendants of Adam and Eve. We all have been in this Garden of Eden. We all come into this world as sinners without Christ, without Christ. Amen. All have sinned. And you need to know today that without Christ, you and I are lost and we're heading to a Christless eternity for all eternity in torment without any chance of reprieve. I'm here to tell you. That you are lost without Jesus. Even if you attend church, even if you support ministry financially, you are lost. This is very important. Because you can't be saved unless you're lost. If you think you got it all together and everything is fine, you'll never repent. And, and, without, and without repentance, you're lost. 
If you've never repented of your sins, you've never fully submitted your life to Christ. And if you're not faithfully following Jesus today, then you, my friend, are still in your sins. Perhaps you've drifted. Perhaps you've drifted during this pandemic from your relationship with the Lord. Perhaps you have more than drifted. You've walked away. You've turned away from following him. Well, I'm here to tell you. I'm here to to warn you and encourage you. To warn you that without Jesus, there is no hope. He is the only way of salvation. But I'm also here to encourage you that there's still time. There's still room at the cross. That the door is still open to salvation. And Jesus is still calling out to you. And today he's calling out to you through me. Will you trust him? Will you receive him? Will you trust him to forgive you and restore you? Will you trust the redeemer to save you today? Well, why not allow his love? Why not allow his word to find a place and begin to take root and bloom in the garden of your heart today? Because you can't be saved until you recognize you're lost. Just praying a prayer will not save you. If you believe you're okay, just as you are, then you will remain in your sins. But I'm here to tell you that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. John 14, 4 says, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4.12 says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And then Romans 10 tells us, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Why don't you do that today? First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The choice is yours. Today, right now, as you bow your heads, talk to him, cry out to him. Have mercy upon me. Save me, forgive me. Restore me. In Jesus' name I pray. God bless you. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Come on, let's bless the Lord. Hallelujah. We want to remind you that every Tuesday at 7, 10 p.m., you can join with us, join with the Church of God of East New York on, on, on our conference prayer call every Tuesday at 7, 10 p.m., you can go on our website at www.cog-eny.com. You can get the call-in information. Having a wonderful time in Sunday school every Sunday morning at 8.45 with qualified and excited teachers at 8.45. And Servants Day at the Church of God of East New York is on March 27th when we celebrate Dear Servants of the Most High God. want to give you this opportunity that you might sow into the soil of this ministry that you might invest, that you might support. Amen. That you, as we said last Sunday, that you be a, a ministry sustainer.
want to invite you to take part in this offering. And there are multiple ways that you can do that. You can, you can mail an offering in. You can write out a check. Make it to the Church of God of East New York. Amen. Don't mail money. But you can mail a check. Money orders, you can mail that. And um, you can give in person. You can do a drive-by. There's always somebody on a Sunday morning in the parking lot, in the lobby. You can drive by and hand it off. You can go to our website and give online, which would be the fastest and one of the easiest ways. Again, go to www.cog-eny.com. You can also use your phone, your smartphone. Amen. You can't use a flip phone most of the time, but you can use a smartphone. Amen. And text COG, text to text COGENY to 77977. Follow the instructions. And as you're giving, let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for how you have supplied um, the needs of this ministry, how you have continually, dear God, touched the hearts of men and women, dear God, far and near. That God, as they have supported and been sustainers of this ministry, we thank you for the gifts that are coming right now. We thank you for touching hearts. We thank you that you'll multiply the gifts to meet the need. We thank you in advance and we say, praise the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to also give a shout out. Um, thank God again. Our, our lady Deborah had a birthday yesterday. Thank God for her. Amen. Amen. And today we shout out to Christina Williams. Happy birthday, Christina. Happy birthday. And then um, tomorrow, Reverend Charis Ebram will celebrate his birthday. We celebrate him. And then on Tuesday, our sister Hyacinth Jackson will celebrate her birthday. Amen. Praise the Lord. And then on Wednesday, amen, our sister Reverend Vinona Wilson will celebrate her birthday. We celebrate all of these and we pray that it will be a times of thanksgiving. Now listen, I, I, I need to, to get something off my chest. And I need to say this more so to those that are viewing and maybe even to some that are here in the room. From this congregation and, and from other congregations, it's time to return to in-person services. And I'm saying that to our youth, our young adults, our children, families, mom, dad, it's time. Now, I know that there are some who have said they don't agree with the decision to register. Or to continue to wear the mask as they got real silent. I told you I need to get this off my chest. I assure you, whether you are part of this church or another congregation that has the same, implemented the same thing, that these decisions are meant to safeguard the health of both members and guests. And they allow us to do contact tracing in the case of an outbreak. They provide us the tools to do adequate spacing while leaving room for the unexpected guest. But some, the shoe fit, wear it. Some have refused. I'm not going back to church until they stop that foolishness. And yet, you register for conferences. You register for various meetings. 
school reunions, family reunions, job fairs, conventions. You make reservations to go on vacation. I see you on Facebook. You stay at hotels, make reservations. You reserve automobiles. You register to participate in elections. And you do all of this as if it is just a normal part of life. And here we are in the most abnormal time in most of our lifetimes. And you have a problem with registering. I submit something else is at work and the enemy is behind it. That's causing you to resist. That's causing you to use this as an excuse. It's a simple action. I hope. I feel better. I hope more of you will be encouraged to start back attending in-person services, whether here at the Church of God of East New York or wherever you call home. If you need assistance to register, call the church. Call a sister. Call a brother. Call one of the young people. And they'll register you. Y'all love me? I love you. I really love you. And I hope to see more and more of you as time goes on. Again, we trust and pray that you've been encouraged and strengthened. And as we say to you, trust him. Obey him and watch him work. All things to your good and for his glory. Until next time, this is Pastor McDowell, the Church of God of East New York, saying I love you, but God loves you more. God bless. Thank you for joining us this week. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, share it with your friends, and tag us in your social stories at C-O-G-E-N-Y. Thank you to those who have given generously to this ministry in the past. And if you'd like to become a contributor, head over to cog-eny.com. That's cog-eny.com. And just click on the offering and donations tab. Again, thank you so much. Now God bless.